Thank you very much, Bertie. It's lovely to be with you this morning and to be able to come along and share God's Word. Uh, we want to turn together, please, in our Bibles to First uh, Timothy. So if you have a Bible with you, we're going to read from the first book of Timothy and chapter 1. First Timothy and chapter 1. <clears throat> First Timothy chapter 1 and verse 2. Unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables, endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity, out of a pure heart and a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. And if you come over to chapter 2 and verse 1, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. And amen. We know God will bless the reading of his word. Let's unite in prayer. Our Father, we want to thank you for your precious word. We thank you your word is truth. And I ask, Lord, this morning that thy Holy Spirit would be poured out upon our gathering. I ask, Lord, that you will cleanse me as I give myself to you, Lord, that you would sanctify me and set me apart, and that, Lord, your presence would be very real. I pray for a hedge around about us, and, Lord, I pray for an opening of our minds, our understanding, and our heart to the truth of your word. So, Lord, I just worship before you, and I pray for that gracious outpouring of your Spirit upon us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Whenever uh, the Apostle Paul became a Christian, there was a man called Ananias who received a message from the Lord. And the message was, Ananias, I want to, you to go to Saul of Tarsus. He, he's now come and you have to go and speak to him and communicate what I lay on your heart. Ananias immediately was very, very um, worried and anxious, even though the Lord had spoke to him. And his anxiety was that he knew what Saul of Tarsus had done. He knew the type of man he was. He had murdered believers. He had taken children away from their parents. He had persecuted with fervor, religious fervor, to do these uh, Jesus followers to death. The Lord could have said many things to him, but he said three words. Behold, he prayeth. The man who had sought letters for the destruction of the believers in Damascus was now talking to God and seeking God and pursuing God through faith in the one that he had been so 
adamantly protesting against. The interesting thing of that verse is that that was all that Ananias needed. (laughs) Behold, he prayeth. There's been a change. He's converted. He's born again. He's saved by the grace of God. You see, he he prayeth. He's become a praying man. And the Bible says if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things pass away and all things become new. One of the things I absolutely adore about the Bible is that it's absolutely packed with ordinary people who do and see and witness and achieve amazing supernatural things. Things that cannot be accomplished any other way. I would have loved to have been in the book of Acts on that day whenever they were praying in the prayer meeting and the building shook. That was some prayer meeting. It would have been amazing to have stood in the battlefield whenever Joshua found himself in a dilemma that he was trying to wipe out the Lord's enemies, but he didn't have time. He couldn't get all the Lord's enemies dealt with, and so he did something that most people, in fact, most evangelicals today would say, you, you can't do things like that. Don't be ridiculous. Be sensible. He, he, he stood and he lifted his arm up and he spoke to the sun. Of course, we wouldn't accept that today as believers speaking to the sun. But he told it to stand still. Well, he wouldn't probably have comprehended the complexity of the universe, but we know that what happened that day, whenever he did that, that God heard him, and, and for the sun to stand still actually meant that the earth would stand still. So God put his hand on the earth, and the earth came to a standstill through a man's prayer. It would have been so amazing on that occasion whenever Hezekiah was so ill and he was going to die and he turned to the wall and he pleaded with God for his life and God spoke to Isaiah the prophet and said, I'm going to give you 15 years. Go and tell him he's getting 15 years. And Isaiah said, if you want this confirmed, the Lord has said what he'll do is he'll, he'll turn the dial or the clock and either it can go forward or go backward. Well, he said it goes forward all the time, so let it go backward. So again, he did, in a sense, more than he did for, for Joshua because for time to go back required God not only putting his hand on the earth to stop it rotating, but actually putting it into reverse. Wouldn't it have been amazing if you had been in the shadows to watch Elijah whenever he was standing a lonely figure with 850 false prophets all around him? And he he stands alone, and the people of God don't know what to do. They have so apostatized. They have so got away from God. They they don't know how to commit to to anything or anybody. And he he stands a lonely figure, uh, and he walks forward, and he prays a very simple prayer that God would come, and he would send his fire from heaven and burn up the sacrifice so that all the people would know that the Lord was God. And immediately the fire fell. 
and burned up the sacrifice and the stones and the water was licked up. Do you remember the day Samson, who although he was greatly anointed by the Holy Spirit, yet, and many Christians find this very profound, and it is a difficult thing to understand, but so often Christians say that if a man or woman is being used by God, it means that everything in their life is right. Don't ever believe that. Because a man uses a man or woman doesn't mean everything's right. Everything should be right. And if everything's not right, then it will come out. God will deal with it. But Samson had moral problems. His compass wasn't good, but God mightily used him and anointed him, and the enemy got him, and God permitted it because of his rebellion. And of course, he lost his eyes. They burned his eyes out. And they made him like an ox, so he was going round and round, and they said, you'll provide food for the Philistines. But the Bible says, having had his hair cut, his hair began to grow again. God's merciful. His hair grew again. And they decided they would make sport of him. (laughs) They were going to make a fool of him. And there's 3,000 people, the, the top Uh, aristocrats of the Philistines are sitting in their galleries watching this comedian, this one that used to be so great. And Samson, there's going to be no more lust in his life. But he did something that was so profound. The Bible says that he got a little boy to take him by the hand and he said, son, put my hand against the great pillars and that hold up this great big sanctuary, put my hands against them, and the little boy laid his hands, and they all laughed. They all thought it was so funny. <laughs> Does he think he's going to do it again? But he prayed a prayer. Lord, let me die with the Philistines. That was a great prayer. Let me die. That's the greatest prayer any Christian can pray. In fact, it's the only prayer a Christian is pleaded with by God to pray. Let me die. Let my self-life die. Let my ambitions die. Ever wonder why the church is so powerless? Ever wonder why people don't get saved? Ever wonder why young people are not interested in church? You ever understand why why it's so predictable? Everything is just, it's like a machine turning so often. The reason really at the heart of it is that the majority of the Lord's people have never, ever got before God and said, let me die. Because when he died, he pulled down the whole establishment. He pulled down all those great leaders. And when we die as Christians to self-life, 
God gives us a power and an enabling that we can pull down things that are very secure, things that are above us, things that are in the heavens, things that are strong. The Bible calls them, uh, Paul said, principalities and powers, rulers of the darkness of this world. These things can be pulled down, but they're only pulled down when the Christian is prepared to pray, Lord, let me die. Well, of course, you're probably aware that I'm going to speak this morning on great prayers. Now, you can take that two roads. It's either great prayers that were prayed, which, of course, is important. But I want to look at the great prayers, the people that prayed them. Because great prayers come from great prayers. And if you're not great praying, you're not likely to get great breakthrough. That's why we're exhorted to pray. We're exhorted to seek the Lord. We're exhorted to seek him with all our hearts. You see, to the believer, when we come to a knowledge of Jesus, prayer is as natural as breath. It just has. It's just natural. But what happens is we're still in a body that has a flesh or a fallen nature, and there's a conflict, an old flesh, self-life that wants its way. And when that self-life is permitted to live, when we're unwilling and we're not earnest enough in our pursuit of God to let the Holy Spirit have control in every area of our lives, then this greatly grieves the Holy Spirit. He's greatly hurt. And what he does is he pulls back in our life, and we just get on and do our own thing. And occasionally he will prompt us. He may speak to us in a very gentle way, but if we continue on, he pulls back gently because he's, he's a gentleman. The Holy Spirit is very gentle, and, and he is, despite being gentle, he is extremely powerful. It's very natural to the believer to pray. But that's in nature and sin and the devil and the world are all there as obstacles. They're all there as presenting difficulties to the life of prayer. The Bible says your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Psalm said in Psalm 66, he said, if I regard, if I hold to, if I keep secretly sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. You see, you could say, well, you know, I don't get any answers to prayer. Or maybe you say, well, there's an awful lot of people praying to God and Don't ever get it into your head that every prayer that is prayed, that God hears it. I mean, that's that's not biblical. That's not biblical. The Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not even hear me. It It doesn't get to him. If there's iniquity in our heart, if there's a bent to evil that we're not prepared to deal with in our life, the Bible says the Lord will not hear us. 
Does that mean that God doesn't hear us when we sin? God will certainly hear us when there's repentance. God will certainly hear us when we begin to earnestly and honestly come before him and and there's no deception, there's no cover, there's no pretense, there's no acting. The posture of prayer is interesting in the Bible. We have occasion of, of David, whenever you remember, he, he was the little son that was born to Bathsheba. The Lord said, the little child will die. Do you remember David went and he, he lay on his face? Do you ever lie on your face when you pray? Do you ever do that? Lie on your face? David was desperate. Were you ever desperate in prayer? I haven't time for that, Alan. <laughs> I remember years ago, I went to a, a church prayer meeting, and they said, we don't kneel because, you know, it, it doesn't look good. David lay before the Lord. Daniel, you remember, whenever he opened the windows, he knelt down and he prayed toward Jerusalem to the Lord. He, he knelt in prayer. He, he was the prime minister. He was the top guy in the, in the empire. But he knelt every day, every day, three times a day, knelt before the Lord. Do you remember Solomon when he was opening the temple, the new temple, and he stood before the Lord, and the Bible says he lifted his hands up, and he stood before the people, and he prayed, and then eventually the fire of the Lord fell. Do you remember in the upper room, what did they do? They sat in the upper room. You see, friends, what I'm saying is it, your posture doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter, I mean, whether you sit or stand. There's, there's occasions whenever, if you're in desperation, let me assure you, there will be a driving toward either kneeling or prostrating yourself. All depends on the desperation. But nevertheless, those things don't really matter. It's not your posture or your latitude. It is your attitude. It is the state of your heart that matters when it comes to prayer. You see, some people, when they prayed, they talked to God. There were some people, and they cried with a loud voice. Of course, that's not allowed in a lot of places now either. That's not politically correct in the evangelical church. I don't know how many prayer meetings and gatherings I've been over the years and where people got offended because someone was shouting in prayer. I wouldn't care, my friends, if a person shouted at the top of their lungs if the Holy Spirit was upon them. I wouldn't care. Wouldn't offend me. The only thing I would want to know is, is this man or woman under the unction and power of the Holy Spirit? That's all I'd want to know. But some people talked. Some people called out to God. Some people wept before God. You ever weep before God? You ever weep? Some people cried out. Some people pleaded with God like, like a, a person before a judge seeking mercy. Some people prayed with a loud voice. Some people, no voice at all. Do you remember Hannah? When Hannah got before the high priest, she prayed in her heart. He thought she was drunk. She prayed a simple prayer to God and pleaded with all her heart, but her lips moved, but she never spoke. And God answered. He heard. She got a great prophet. Prayer is an amazing thing. So how did these great prayers get answered? 
And what made these great prayers, these great men and women of prayer, what made them? What, I mean, how did this happen that things of this nature and many others in the Bible, these things occurred? Well, the first thing is found in Jude 20, where it says praying in the Holy Ghost. They prayed in the Holy Ghost. Praying in the Holy Ghost is normal for the Christian who is walking right with God. Praying in the Holy Ghost is a profound thing, and yet it's simple. It is nothing more than simply permitting the Holy Spirit to have his way in your personality. It really involves you letting God, by your pursuit of him, letting the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, who came to indwell you at conversion as he is given freedom, as he is sought, as God is, is pursued, as we seek his will in our lives, so the Holy Spirit will come. And when we begin to pray in the Holy Ghost, then things happen. And sometimes it can happen very gently. Sometimes it can be explosive. Uh, every time I uh, preach along these lines, my mind turns to a young man many years ago, and I remember him in a prayer meeting, and he used to pray. He prayed very well, and he prayed very intelligently. And he prayed biblically. But on one occasion, he came to the prayer meeting. And he prayed in the Holy Ghost. And after that, he prayed differently. It was like he connected. It was like something dynamic, something of another realm had come on his personality. It was as though he was lit by a divine fuse. Didn't change very much, same personality, same quiet disposition, but when he prayed, he prayed in the Holy Ghost. When he prayed, the presence of God would descend into the prayer meeting and everybody became aware that the Lord is here, that, that God is praying through this man. God's word is coming to us. God's thoughts are, are flowing through this person as they pray. The Bible says in Romans 8, we know not how we ought to pray. I don't know how to pray. Say to me, what are you going to pray about tomorrow? I don't know. We don't know how to pray, but the Bible says, but the Holy Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Let me illustrate that for you. Many years ago, I remember on the farm, we had meadows. It was about 1980 or thereabouts, and there was a terrible, terrible uh, summer. It rained every single day. And we turned hay until it was black. And it got to the stage we didn't know whether to bring the baler or the dung spreader to take the hay away. We didn't know which to use. It was such a mess. 
And we were in the meadows, and I remember driving around with this black hay, and the tractor suddenly, she just (laughs) went down to the axle. And so, trying all the methods that farmers would try, we spun this way and spun that way, and dirt was flying everywhere, and the hay was getting into it. It was just a mess. But we couldn't get that old tractor to move. There was, there was power in the tractor. She was alive, but boy, she was going nowhere. And so eventually, in despair and in defeat, we, we called a neighbor, and he had a, he had a big David Brown tractor. Don't make them now, but nevertheless... But he brought this big David Brown down and he brought her in and, and put a rope on and, and he says, when I pull, he says, you put her in gear. And so I did the same thing again, as I had been doing that wasn't working. I mean, I was just spinning. I was getting nowhere. But he said, you, when I pull, he says, you put her in gear. So he began to pull and I put her in gear and something happened. Boy, she, she came out of that. Started to move forward. The Holy Ghost will never come upon you to just simply pray. He'll not robotically come and take possession of you. If you're passive or if you're just a person that says, well, if God's going to do it, God will do it. Let me tell you, God will do nothing for you. The one thing you read about the book of Acts is that men were engaged with God. Men and women had sought God. Men and women were in pursuit of God in their lives. And so it's interesting in that arena of of life and power in the early chapters of the book of Acts that the Holy Ghost was shaking buildings. You see, it's like trying to pray. You engage in it, but you're maybe not... You're saying the words, and you maybe earnestly pray, and Lord, please, and whatever. Then, the David Brown comes. Then the Holy Ghost comes. And you realize, I'm being carried now. I'm being pulled along. There's a power that's outside me. There's, there's something happening here. And that's a wonderful thing when that happens in the life of a Christian. It is a wonderful thing to happen in the place of prayer. It's a wonderful thing to happen whenever saints gather together and the people of God pray in such a manner. It is the most wonderful thing. In fact, it's next door to heaven. It's as really as near to heaven as you can get for the church as the church is communing with God in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, one of the reasons why most Christians are not interested today in prayer or church prayer meetings is because the Holy Ghost is not operating. It is because the people of God do not even know how to be in a position for the Holy Ghost to move. So how do we pray? We pray in the Holy Ghost. Say, Alan, how does that happen? happens, my friends, through the next point. Don't be expecting to say, well, I'm going to pray in the Holy Ghost. If you have never read Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, where it says, Jesus said, when you go to your closet, pray to your Father in secret, and your Father that sees you in secret will reward you openly. You see, my friends, every child of God is called to a closet, a secret place, a place where that individual meets with God. 
The closet is the great saver of the Christian. The great saviour. I was thinking last night, I couldn't sleep very well, and I was thinking about the early days of this work when it started in the little portable hall. And my, ran, my mind ran back those 30-odd years. It, it seems just a flash ago. I remember so many people, so many young people, who were at those gatherings, who were in prayer meetings. And then I began to think of all the ones that used to be bright. The ones that used to walk with God. The ones that used to fervently pray and go to meetings and give their testimony. And today, nothing. Nothing. Wouldn't enter a house of God now. And I thought of those words where Paul, you know, when he he was writing to the church and he said, work out, and that's a a, a term used in the Greek language. It's the same as a mathematician. You know, you work out things. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. With fear and trembling. And I was thinking, do you know, the only things that you have fear and trembling about is something where there's great risk, you know, for example, where you're coming in to land a plane or something. You'd have fear and trembling. But God says in the outworking of your salvation in your life, he says, do it with fear and with trembling. Obviously, there's dangers. The magnitude of those dangers, I'm not sure about. But I know it's a serious thing to depart from the living God. That's why I say the closet is the Savior. You see, friends, we all have trials and difficulties, disappointments, tears, questions for God, answers we can't get. All that comes in life. But when there's a consistency in the closet, when there's a room, a place in your life where you can go daily to God and you can open your heart to him and you can lay your life before him and you can say, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done, when you can either weep or talk or cry, or listen, or whatever it is, as you engage waiting on God, waiting in his presence, and God comes to you through his word, you're sustained. You're helped in the dark period. And you can carry through. See, friends, as has been said before by many, it's not how you start. And God help us all, it's how we finish. It's how we finish. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 10 and verse 18, through much slothfulness, the building decays. And through idleness of the hands, the house droppeth through. 
The roof falls in. The structure's falling to bits. A house doesn't easily fall down. It's just general neglect. It's just letting nature take its course. It's just letting... A, a little bit of wind come and a slate's off and a, and a tile's off and you don't bother and then another one the next year and you don't bother and the water comes in and it rots the rafters and just through neglect, just through neglect, that's all, not doing anything particularly wrong, just neglect, then all of a sudden the Bible says the roof comes in. The life falls to bits. Neglect. Nobody suddenly backslides. No, nobody suddenly gets away from God. It happens gradually. It's a gradual thing. Do you have a closet? Say, Alan, I find it terribly difficult. I, I don't, I'm not saying it's not. After all, we have said earlier, we're wrestling against principalities and powers. We have the flesh to deal with. You see, very often the reason why we give up on prayer is because prayer is not working. And the reason it's not working is because we're not praying the right prayers. You're not praying the right prayers. If you start praying the right prayers, you'll get answers. But the right prayers are difficult prayers. The right prayers are bringing yourself to God instead of bringing a list to him, saying to God, what have you to say to me? What have you to say to me? If you were brave enough, and most aren't, but to be brave enough to say, God, what is it in my life that you don't like? What is it about my personality? What is it about my behavior? What is it about the way I live? What is it about the way I talk that you don't like? I want you to throw light on, in on me, Lord, and I'm prepared to repent. I had a lady came to see me, oh, about three months, six months ago. She came about an issue in her life. And I was happy to talk to her for a period. And then I said, well, we're going to pray now. And when we began to pray, unusual things began to happen. And it was apparent she had a problem. And her boyfriend was there. She knew she had a real deep problem. And God was, boy, was he bringing it up. I said to her, you know, it's very important if you want God to really let you free, that you can really follow him, that you, you have to be willing to do God's will. You've got to be willing to let go of your plans. And she looked over at her boyfriends and she began to laugh. She says, I like my way, don't I? You're not going to get any breakthrough. <laughs> You're not going to see the supernatural. You're not going to see God doing or breaking through in prayer. You're never going to become a prayer warrior. You're not go never going to be useful in the hand of God. If, if you can turn around in relaxation and say, I like my own way. <laughs> my friends, that's why Jesus came to die. 
That's what that bloody sacrifice on the cross was all about. It was about you and I not merely saying, Lord, you die, but he says, I need you to die. Now, friends, that's the very painful part, and painful it is. Do you know the wonderful thing happened after Jesus died? After he died, three days later, three days later, the Holy Spirit raised him from the dead. Something amazingly supernatural happened in his life. And the wonderful thing about every Christian I have ever met, whether they were Baptist or Presbyterians or Anglicans or whatever, that, that was secondary issue. You know, my friends, what, what happened was when they died to self, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they got a brand new life. A far better life. A life that was being nurtured by the power of God. Discipline, very quickly. Not only was there praying in the Holy Ghost with individuals in the past in the church and discipline, a pr- private pursuit, but then there was, there was corporate prayer. Corporate prayer, where the, where the people of God came together to pray. You know, the Bible says, where brethren dwell together in unity, there the Lord commands the blessing. I was in a prayer meeting this week, actually. It was really amazing. I find prayer meetings, some prayer meetings are fascinating. When the, when the Lord is there, they're fascinating. We used to have a, an old gentleman came to a prayer meeting years ago. See Ruth in here tonight when she was a child. I remember her and her family there. And there was this old, old gentleman who used to come to the prayer meeting. And he used to always say, he says, you know, when the Holy Ghost is present, no prayer meeting is ever the same. And that's true. Never the same. Because when God comes, he'll do something different. During the week, I was at a prayer meeting, and, and there, was, there was a handful of people gathered together. And uh, as we were meeting, we were praying over a particular issue. And there was a, a situation going on where, where, where these people, it was a family, we went to their home, and this family desperately needed breakthroughs. They're, they're really having problems. And, and when we were there, we were sitting and we began to seek the Lord and pray and worship the Lord. And the Lord's presence was, was really there. And out of the blue, one of the gentlemen that were there, he stopped and he said, God has shown me something. And he began to share what God had shown him. And God showed him exactly what the problem was in this family. What the problem was and the root of it. God can do that, you know. God can do that. And when we began to pray about that very issue, my friends, if, if, if the power of God was present before, boy, was it present afterwards. <laughs> it was a kind of a scenario where you'd have looked around and said, is this house actually going to shake? <laughs> That's a wonderful thing. Boy, when we were leaving that house, the people of God, they were so excited. God, did you sense God there? Do you feel the presence of God?
corporate prayer. Sadly, most church prayer meetings, thank God not all, but most of them, when you've done about 20 minutes, I mean, I have been to many of them, and I have sat and I have been praying, oh God, please, just get someone to close this. This is painful. This is as near purgatory, if there ever was such a place, this has to be it. What's the problem? One, either the people of God can't sense what's going on, which often is the case. But more often than not, the Holy Spirit is just not there. And people are just saying prayers. They're just doing their bit. So painful. So painful. But the Bible says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am in the midst. You know, so many Christians get that verse wrong. It's greatly misunderstood, that verse, because people often say, well, there's two or three Christians together. The Lord's going to be there in power in the midst. You ever had a prayer meeting or a meeting or church meeting and there was a hundred in and you went out and said, that done me more harm than good? That drained me. It was like somebody putting a needle in me and drawing the life out of me. I see, it doesn't mean that. This is what it means. It means where God draws two or three people together by the Holy Spirit, he draws them. He pulls people together. And he pulls them together for a purpose. And, and, and these people are being drawn by the Holy Spirit. They're not just doing their own thing. and slip. It's not like that. They've been drawn. And where two or three are gathered or pulled together by the Lord for the Lord to perform a purpose, he said, I'll be in the midst. I'll be there. My presence will be there. So don't be saying just because we're at the prayer meeting, there's three Christians, God's going to turn up. No. Sure, the evidence is pointing against it. But if you're called together, if you're seeking with others who are seeking, yes, he said, I'll be there. I'll be in the midst. And let me tell you, my dear Christians, When you have been in prayer meetings where God has turned up, you will never accept anything less. You will never settle for anything less. Never. Because you have felt his garment. You've been like the old sages and elders of Israel when they went up with Moses up the mount. And there... They sat at the feet of God and they saw the stones in sapphire at his feet. And they sat and they had a meal in the presence of the divine. We can try all the gimmicks, and many churches are. But friends, it has to be the road of prayer. Let's draw to a close. How do we pray? In the will of God. This is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he heareth. 
And we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. When you begin to pray his will, answers will start to come. God loves to answer prayer. Sometimes I'm sure you've heard it from this pulpit. He says yes. Sometimes he says no. Sometimes he says wait. Sometimes we're taken up with prayer about getting things. But you know really the primary, one of the primary purposes of prayer? Well, it's encapsulated in the hymn, isn't it? There is a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God. It's the place where you get to as a Christian where you can go in and not pray at all and you just sit quietly or lie down quietly, whatever it might be, and you begin to think about this great being called God who dwells outside time in eternity. This God who is light and no darkness is in him. This God who is truth. No error, no lies, no deceit. This God who is infinitely powerful. This God, my friends, who is ever beyond the reach of man. No man has seen God at any time and lived. None can look at the face of God. His greatness, his majesty, even the great seraphim, those heavenly beings made and are always in his presence from their creation to this moment. They bow in his presence and with two wings they cover their eyes and bow their head. With two wings they cover their feet. With two wings they, they fly and they cry, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. My dear friends, as you permit the Holy Spirit to gently Release and reveal those truths. Your heart. This is a great God. This is a wonderful God. And he's mine. I belong to him. He gave his son for me. And when I die, I will be with him. In his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Now through at last darkly. Then face to face. (laughs) Isn't it true that we engage most of our lives in the trifles? Business and money and all for the passing. Even Solomon at the end of his life, despite having started out with God and the great wisdom, and yet in earnestness and in truth, he cried out, vanity of vanities. It's all nothing. I wonder today, do you put anything like the passion that you have for your business or your money, 
or your career or your family? How much would you, in the passion of your life, be pursuing God? Just God. The will of God. My dear friends, until you begin as a Christian, and this is where your life turns, by the way, so listen carefully. This is the turning point for any life for a Christian. When you get to the point before God alone, not with anybody, but before God alone, where you can say to him, Lord, the only thing that matters in my life is doing your will. If it means, Lord, affecting me financially, personally, relationships going, Lord, that might be painful, but I want your will. I want my will to go and your will to come. When and if many never even get there, many Christians never get there. Tragedy, but they never get there. But if you get there, then, then you're on the way to beginning a life of walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me close. How do we pray? With persistence. (laughs) With persistence. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. Oh, it's so easy to give up. Paul says, pray without ceasing. Great victories. Great victories. Involve great battles. You can't have a great victory in war unless there's been a great battle. It's only recorded as a victory as a result of the battle. Praying with persistence. Not giving up. Not giving in. Say, Alan, it's very, it's a hard life, the Christian. Sure is. Sure is. Cost, sure does. Jesus told us that. Well, what would you say to me today, Alan? I have my own ambitions. I'm young. I've got my dreams. And you're presenting something this morning that's cutting right across them. You're interfering with what you've preached this morning. It has interfered significantly into plans that I have for my life. Why why would I choose to give up my life to pursue what you're talking about when you're telling us it's difficult? Because the thing that I cannot convey to you, the old Scots said, it's better felt than told. The thing that I cannot rationally convey to you just through preaching is that when a person does give to God, when a person permits the Holy Spirit to take total possession, when that Christian begins to walk in the Spirit, when they begin to walk with God in their lives day by day in discipline, the Holy Spirit keeps turning up. 
God keeps stepping in. Things happen that it would mean nothing to anybody else, but oh, friends, you see, we're not operating in the natural. It's the supernatural. God knows our soul. (laughs) Some of the greatest experiences I've ever had in my life undoubtedly have to be in the place of prayer. I mean, this, this really has to be. And anybody looking at me would say, what is he at? How could that be a blessed sitting in that place in that study? But the Lord comes. (laughs) The Lord comes. And he speaks. Tells me things. Shows me things. And I sense his presence. You start getting this pull, (laughs) this pull from a better world, from a world that's more real than this world, a pull toward the very creator himself. You can't explain that. You cannot explain that. But I want to tell you this morning as I close now that God's presence and the nearness of Jesus is available to every believer. And every Christian has as much of God as they want. You have as much of God as you want. I hope you want more. Great prayers. Let's bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for the wonder of who you are. Sometimes, Lord, we're lost in wonder, love, and praise. We pray today, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would continue to speak into all our hearts. And I ask, Lord, that some person or persons today will in the quietness of their heart and through the remainder of the day consider the issues in their life that need to be dealt with. I pray that you will give them the grace and the drawing to seek the Lord, to seek him earnestly, and that miracles would be performed in their hearts. I pray, Lord, that you will bless those now who must leave, that your hand would be upon them, And for those that remain, that your presence may descend and be upon us as we remember our Lord Jesus. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you and thank you for listening.